Why do I always feel like when we do the silence that I have to like hold my breath? I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't be holding <laughs> your breath so it picks up your breathing. Hello, welcome to a very special Fuck Me Dead, the podcast that brings you the stories from Australia and its buddies that just make you say, Fuck Me Dead, on this 24th episode, which we're recording before episode 23 goes out. Not yes. that you'll know that by the no, time you hear No, you this. won't know that, but we know that. We're now accompanied by Pixie, who seems to have forced her way into the room <laughs> on a quest for yogurt and ham. It's all she lives for. Why doesn't she join us for this long, epic tale? Uh, just a single story for us. Today, or for you, rather. You haven't introduced us. I'm CJ. <laughs> and I'm Amanda. I'd hope you know who we are by now. This might be the first episode that someone's listening to. I, I don't know. You never know. You never know. So yeah, this week we're doing something a little bit different. Because um, we're busy. There's that. But also, I just don't feel like I could have done this story justice in our normal format. And it'd be kind of weird to like intersperse it with a, maybe you break it up, do it as your first and last story like I did that one time, but in the middle you tell a story about some guy like throwing his shit at someone. (laughs) It just, it it wouldn't work that way. I hope you enjoy this one. I mean, let let me know how you feel after you've listened to this. Like I'd, I'd like your feedback as to whether you actually enjoyed this way of doing things, but I mean, I kind of like our normal format personally. I just did a lot of research and really wanted to tell this story. (laughs) And I'm just here to try and react. So anyway, before we get started, how are you? Y- you can't just make a hand motion and think that people on the podcast can tell what you're doing. <laughs> uh, it's just, I feel like you like just asked me this question, especially because I listened to it today as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a new day, so. My butt hurts from cycling. <laughs> That's how I feel. It do that. It do that. <laughs> the good news, if you keep doing it every day, it'll just get over it. I hope so, and I hope it's tomorrow, because I intend to go cycling again tomorrow, and I don't know if my butt can take that abuse. Can take that abuse. I don't make those bike seats comfy, especially not on men's bikes, I'm assuming. I don't know. I, mine's Can't not comfortable either, so... But you don't have, like, a sack hanging down. I mean, pressed this against. is true. This is true. And this was the first time ever I went outside wearing just track pants instead of regular pants. I was wearing, like, other clothing, by the way. Oh, no, I thought you were just wearing the track pants. (laughs) Nothing else. Because it was cold and I have been cycling in jeans. And I guess that's a little bit silly. Um, But I do feel like the jeans definitely protected me from the seat a bit more. Oh, no. Okay. So tomorrow, I don't know. I might go back to jeans. Okay. We'll see how I feel. I mean, most of the guys that are like super serious into cycling wear like Lycra. They wear Lycra pants with like little butt pouches on them for the seat. Like they've got inbuilt cushions in the pants. Well, not all of them. I, these I don't know if I've ever seen someone wearing really? the padded shorts. You're clearly not looking at people's butts when you drive past I them. I mean, I clearly don't. Um, but it's, how, it's all you can see when you cycle behind someone. There's <laughs> butt in your face. And you're like, can you <laughs> fucking get off into the side of the road where you should be? Jesus Christ. Stop looking at people's butts. They've put it right in front of my... you got to look eyes on the road. <laughs> Just ass. It's like that. Oh, you wouldn't get it because you haven't watched The Simpsons. No. But I, I feel like I'm an anomaly in this generation is that I haven't really seen The Simpsons. So. There's an episode of The Simpsons where they go skiing and Ned Flanders is there and he's in like the full ski oh, onesie. Oh, is this like, the stupid sexy Flanders yes, thing? Yes, it is. I know that reference. Okay. I figured <laughs> there was a chance you might, but I wasn't sure. And this all relates to our story today because 
It doesn't. <laughs> hey, kids, do you like Japan? <laughs> There's a Japan episode of The Simpsons, right? There is. It, because it has the um, Hypnofrog thing, right? Is that the Hypnofrog is from Futurama. Oh, but they do spoof the um, Pokemon episode that gave kids uh, epileptic fits. Uh, they watch oh. like a Gundam spin-off in their hotel room and they'll have fits on the floor. But the reason I bring up Japan is because it plays into today's story. It does. Re- that actually does relate to yes. today's story. <laughs> the two sister countries, Japan and Austra- I Australia. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I haven't opened my notes. Hold on. Japan and New Zealand are very similar. In what way? Have you looked at their shape? Oh, you were talking like literally. They've also, they've got Mount Fuji. We've got Mount Taranaki. They look identical. That's why they filmed that Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai, in oh, New Zealand. Japan. In Japan. In New Zealand. Yeah. Right, okay. It's not Mount Fuji in that movie. It's Mount Taranaki in New Zealand. <laughs> okay. Well, our episode today is about a Japanese cult. Which I know sounds weird for an Australian podcast. But we have weebs here too. <laughs> but no, I mean, we do, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. But it's not that. Um, the they... cult of body pillows. <laughs> the cult actually bought property in Australia. And the things that they did on that property kind of led to other th- I don't know how to like sum this up without saying what it is. <laughs> But what they did in Australia was important to their organization. How about we say that? Yes. Um, it was Today's very relevant. Today's story is about something that was brewed, an idea that was thought of in Japan, brewed in Australia, and then taken back. Yes. Um, that's about all that I roughly know about it. You don't know anything else? Not really, no. I'm not, I, I have a rough idea of what this is, but mm-hmm. that's it. Okay. Well, I'm about to tell you, so you don't have to worry about that anymore. Okay, so I want to put a general disclaimer. I'm going to say a lot of Japanese words, and I am not Japanese. <laughs> so my pronunciation is probably going to be very, very bad. Before we continue the episode, I will give you the advice that most Japanese is two-letter syllables is how you sound everything out. Okay. Pretty much everything is that. So I it's did, quite easy once you know that. I did watch... A lot of YouTube videos to try and figure out how to pronounce these words. Like, I, I didn't just do the ignorant thing and go, I don't know, I'm just going to say them, however. I actually did try to, like, figure out the pronunciation of these. However, every single video said them differently. So, I'm just going right. <laughs> to... Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm just going to say them how they're spelt. I'd say that's probably the safest. I'm sorry if that's incorrect. Like, I really do apologize, but I genuinely could not figure out the correct way to say them. So I'm just going to apologize in advance. I'm probably going to say these things wrong, but I'm giving it my best shot. Is that enough of a disclaimer? Gambate. I think that means you could do it or do your best. Okay. I don't fucking know. Did you get that from My Hero Academia? No. <laughs> probably some other show though. Well, what we're going to talk about mostly is a Japanese cult called, and again, mind my disclaimer. Gundam. Ayum <laughs> Shinriko. Shinrikyo. <laughs> How's it spelled? A U M S H I N R I K Y O. Otherwise known as Aleph. That is their or current name. What's currently called? Okay. Or yeah, I wouldn't know how to pronounce that first one. I'm afraid, but yeah, I would go Shinrikyo. I'm gonna say uh, Shinrikyo. Shinrikyo. Like Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's Rikyo. <laughs> I'm gonna say Aum. Um. 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 It's gonna be hard because I refer to them a lot. <laughs> 
Obviously, because the story is about them. Let's check out how to pronounce. I did that, and it gave me like an English thing. So I'm like, see? Let's say om. Om? I'm going to say om then. Yeah. Om sounds right to me, and I'm just going to refer to the cult from that shortening from now on, just because it's all a bit too complicated and I can't pronounce it. Okay? <laughs> but the cult is called Om Shinrikyo. I'm going to start, I'm going to, like, my timeline is going to be a little all over the place, but I hope that it makes sense. In April 1993, so this happened a while ago. Don't, are you about to say that you weren't alive yet? I was alive then. (laughs) (laughs) Just? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. In April 1993, two senior members of the Japanese doomsday cult how did we decide it's pronounced? Om Shinrikyo. Om Shinrikyo. Which means supreme truth. Flew from Tokyo to Perth to find land that they wanted to purchase. However, I figured before I go any further into the story, I think that I should probably actually tell you about the cult and what they believed so that all of this has some context. This is early 90s as well, so Japan was cashed up then. So There's a lot of Japanese tourism to Australia at the time because the exchange was so good. So I'm going to go, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But not too much. But yeah, at the time, Japan was one of the biggest economic hubs in the world. Like, they were making the monies, right? <laughs> Fortunately, the 90s don't end that way for Japan. <laughs> no. But, you know, money go up, money go down. But, I mean, and yeah, and I get that this is an Australian podcast and that this is a story that starts in Japan and ends in Japan. But there's this whole big middle chunk that happens in Australia. So I feel like it's still relevant. Yeah? I mean, that's really Australia, isn't it? <laughs> whole big middle chunk that's relevant, but not really thought about. <laughs> so true. Um, Shinrikyo. Is that how we've decided? Yes. Why not just Shinrikyo, since it's easier? I feel like it's the om that's putting you off. No, it's not the om, it's the Shinrikyo. It's just hard to say, I guess because not Japanese. So I'm just going to say om then. Om. om Shinrikyo began in the 1980s as a spiritual group that mixed Hindu and Buddhist beliefs and I actually learned something when oh, I was researching this. Okay, that explains it because I thought Orm didn't sound very no. Japanese. It's it's probably Buddhist. I didn't realize that Buddhist was like one of the main religions in Japan. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. Learned that as I was researching this. So just thought I'd share the knowledge. So yeah, it probably is Orm. As in like, you know, you know when people meditate and they go, Orm. Orm. That's yeah. probably mm. what it is. Mm. That's my best guess. Probably. Anyway. But would later add elements of Christian apocalyptic prophecies, which, you know... I feel like most good cults do that. <laughs> the group's founder, again, his name's Japanese, and I'm just going to say how it's spelt, and this could be incorrect, but Shoko Asahara. Sounds about right. Claimed to be Christ himself, as well as the first enlightened one since Buddha. That's a lot in one man. It's a lot in one man. Shoko Asahara was from a really poor family. His father was a mat weaver. Okay, so he made those tatami mats? Yes. Oh. Um, and I think he only did it part-time. Like, they did not have a lot of money. And when he was born, he was born pretty much blind. So he was completely blind in one eye and only had partial sight in the other. Mm. So, like, his his disability, his being blind, was sort of something that his family didn't know how to cope with or could afford to cope with. Mm. So he was sent to a visually impaired boarding school, and they thought that this was kind of the best way to to deal with it. That's a thing? Yeah, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that either, but yes, that, that is apparently a thing that exists. I guess there are, like, 
Yeah, there are schools for like blind people to um, learn like Braille and um, and stuff, isn't there? I'm sure that's a thing. I suppose it makes sense because then you can build a school specially for people with vision problems rather than having to install things to help your vision problems in every single school. Yes. So I guess it'll be cheaper. It kind of makes more sense, I guess, as well, that you're not teaching one student something different to the rest. Yeah. But I'm sure that, like, just not just boarding schools, but there are normal schools for visually impaired people. Pretty sure. I feel like I've heard of that before. Yeah. This is probably, but there's probably only like one in the country or something. That's why it's a boarding school. Is you just send your kid there? Because otherwise, yeah. These are probably really common things for people with kids like this, and we just don't think about it. Yeah, because we haven't had to think about it before. It's like when I used to work in security and someone called up asking if they if we did smoke detectors for deaf people and I thought to myself, oh yeah, how do they work for them? Never given a second thought. Is that why we have like the flashing light? On the outside of the house? The strobe? That's to alert people on the street, but that's essentially how those smoke detectors for hearing impaired people work is they put out big pulses of light to try and wake them up instead. Right. alert them. Okay. Never thought about that either. Yeah, I hadn't given it a second thought in the entire time I worked there. And then that call came in like my last month of working there. I thought to myself, fuck. Never thought about it. I mean, I worked in the security industry as well and I'd never gotten questions like that. Yeah. But it's definitely interesting to think about. So, yeah, he he went to this uh, visually impaired boarding school. However, he was very charismatic, could kind of talk his way out of a paper bag. But that also made him a bully. Who are these cult leaders, aren't they? I feel like you can't yeah. be a cult leader and not be charismatic. Oh, you like need you, that you have sway. to be able to talk anyone into anything. Like otherwise, your cult's never going to be successful. Because he had some sight and most of his classmates didn't have any, he became this massive bully in the school, well, and even had like violent tendencies toward other students. Truly, um, in a blind man's world, the one-eyed man is king. Situation, eh? Pretty much, I guess. Um. But, I mean, I guess a part of that bullying was that he could talk anyone into anything. He was he was a really good con man. I can see why he became a cult leader. So he obviously used those skills to start his cult. That makes sense. And he was able to target more desirable members because of that. And also, because as you mentioned before, at the time, Japan was economically, like, really sound. They were making a lot of money and... So at first, when he first started, he wasn't, he wasn't an idiot. He started with, you know, students. So he was trying to find anyone that felt, you know, alienated or, you know, lost in life, I guess. So he targeted all these people in like universities and high schools to join his cult to, you know, belong, like to feel like they were part of something. Just like a real religion. Exactly. I mean, this is the thing, you know, this was a religion. Well, every cult, well, sorry, every religion had to start as a cult at some point. Right? And I mean, he started by like yelling at people on the side of the street. Oh, just like a real religion. Exactly. Have you not been to town town hall and been yelled at by a a religious person? Man, I'm just crying across the road. Can you stop yelling to me about Jesus? But I kind of think that in a way, his being blind kind of gave him an edge over that. Do you know what I mean? Because people would be like, oh, I'd look bad to. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem typically, I feel, Japanese people are try to be, at least in public, you know, don't draw attention to themselves. It's not very... Yeah. We're, oh. I feel like we're a bit more accepting of it here because it's just a done thing. But I don't know how common that is in a Japanese society. He was also... He looked very different. Oh. He had really long hair and this massive long beard and he wore, like, bright pink robes and like he looked 
out there. It wasn't like he was trying to blend in, like, at all. He looked very different to everyone else at the time. It wasn't written anyway, but I kind of feel like he was trying to look like Jesus. Mm. He was also trying to stand out, I think. He wasn't, he wasn't in any way trying to blend in at all. That was really not what he was about. But yeah, like, so once he'd gotten all these students in on the cult and on his side, he started to target more upper-class people, more intelligent people. So he was targeting, like, chemists and biologists and doctors and computer programmers was another one that he was really interested in because he did use technology and the internet to get members in the end. Interesting. He was also really good at advertising. He put ads in, like, magazines and stuff promoting his cult and to get people to join hmm. like he was a really like just very smart person who used all of the tools of the time that were available to him to grow his cult i have to wonder like did he because i i mean none, none of this ever says this but like did he was he trying to start a cult or did he really believe all this stuff i kind of feel like sometimes like if you think like jim jones or like the guy who started heaven's gate they were kind of in it for the money at first but then they started Kind of deluding themselves into cold personality. I've convinced to thinking people, everything they were saying was actually true. Mm. I guess you can only like preach so much before you start actually having some conviction in it. I'm wondering if this whole story was an inspiration for an episode of Cowboy Bebop. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> the cult gained official status as a religious organization in Japan in 1989. So they were an official religion. How many members? Doesn't say. This is the thing. There's not a whole lot of information about the cult itself, which sounds weird to say, but no one has ever known how many members were actually in it. Or still are. We get to that later. Oh. Um, <laughs> spoiler, it's still an active cult. They go by, what was the Aleph. name? Aleph. Yeah. They've abandoned the original name and now go by some something else to try and Distance themselves. Distance themselves, but they still follow his teachings. They still read his books and watch his videos and all that stuff. So Mm. I don't know. Take from that what you will. It might be that they more take his spiritual message and not his other message, which we're going to get into. And that's valid. You can believe whatever you want. It's just, you know, the other side that was a bit bonkers. Anyway, we'll get to that. The only thing I could find about numbers is that it had tens of thousands of members worldwide at some point. Couldn't find when that was meant to be or where these members were located or any of that stuff. So, I mean, I would take that with a grain of salt, to be honest, because it kind of seems like he either didn't want people to know how many people were in the cult or he was trying to inflate the numbers to make it sound better than it was. I don't know which is true, to be honest. I'd probably go the second. Inflate Um, the numbers. I don't know. It's hard to say. Because he was he was just really effective at making people believe what he believed. So it's possible. I don't know. Aside from that, the cult was forced to do some really strange things. Followers actually paid money to drink Asahara's blood and dirty bathwater. He was the original guy who sold bathwater. Belle Delphine. You fucking stole the idea. Is that what she's off doing now? She started a cult? <laughs> that bathwater brainwash? Oh my god. She would have so many guys that would join that cult. Are you kidding me? Especially if they get to drink her bathwater. Exactly. And, I mean, these people paid to do it. They paid him money to do it. Wish I get people to pay me for my bathwater. <laughs> we don't have a bath, so it's okay. I don't need to know. I'll just tell them it's bathwater. <laughs> so, apart from that, they were plunged into boiling water to purify their souls. Locked in isolation for days on end. Uh, oh, that's like. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's luck. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but they're also force-fed hallucinogenic drugs. And I'm like, I guess if you give them enough of those, they'll probably start believing anything you say at some point, right? I guess. I don't know. Are people suggestible on those types of drugs? Are they suggestibles? Oh, my God. <laughs> Suggestible edibles. Okay. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> Is that the name of this episode? It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> anyway, his, his mission was to take upon the sins of the world and claim that he could transfer his spiritual power to his followers, um, but also that he could take away their sins. This sounds remarkably like another popular religious figure, like, say, Jesus. Well, the Catholic Church, he just fucking go and just, oh, I did a bad thing, and boom, put it on the yeah. bridge. I mean, he would eventually, like any good cult, had his doomsday prediction. His doomsday prediction featured a third world war, and as a result of that war, humanity would end except for the members of the cult. How convenient. They would survive. From everything I read, he reckoned that this third world war was going to start from a nuclear explosion, which I'm like, doesn't that end it? But okay. No, because he said one nuke starts and then everyone fires all their other nukes. True. That's what the Cold War was a fear of. He predicted that that would happen in 1997. So, buddy, I'm really sorry, but you were so wrong. <laughs> in fact, yeah. you were still alive after that time. So you knew you were wrong. His religion wasn't even founded till after that time. No, no, no. It was founded well before that. No, you it's... said his religion was founded in 19... 1980s. 80s? Yeah. I thought you said the story started in 1993. That's when they came to Australia. Okay. Sorry, I may have confused you with dates there. But no, they didn't come to Australia until 1993. Right. Oh, okay. In 1993, when they came to Australia, that's when they started their preparations for the end of the world. Yeah. So it was meant to happen in 1997, but obviously it didn't. I mean, i got to be honest, I could probably talk at least for an hour alone about the cult and what they were like and the things that they did. And I'm going to tell you, it was fucked up. The whole thing was really fucked up. But I'm going to like just not because it's... For time. It's, it's not going to work in this episode. But, I mean, if you're curious, definitely read up about it. It's really fascinating how they got away with so many things that they did for so long. But, I mean, they're still operating now, like I said, but under a different name. Most recent incident, shall we call it, was in January 2019. Oh. They're still active. Take away from that what you will. They aren't recognized as a religious organization anymore, though. So they're just, you know. An organization. Yeah, they're just, you know, people getting together and... Doing weird shit. Sharing beliefs, shall we say, I guess. Okay, so we now kind of know, it's a bit shrouded in mystery, but we kind of know what the cult believed and what they thought was going to happen, sort of. So why were they in Australia? Sounds like they were buying land to doomsday prep. You're not wrong, but you're not right either. Okay. (laughs) So, I mean, did you know all of that that sort of background stuff about the cult? No, nothing. Okay, cool. I've taught you something today. Well, they were mostly buying property. The cult's second in charge and its intelligence minister chartered a plane with a local real estate agent to take a look at properties for sale in the outback. Deep outback. They eventually bought, this is probably an indigenous word, so I'm Mm going to do my best with this one too, Banjawan Station, B-A-N-J-A-W-A-R-N. Sounds about right. Which was almost a million acres of land. Fucking hell. And had previously been a cattle and sheep station. I had a look on the map. It is pretty much bang on in the middle of Western Australia. <laughs> I don't think there's anywhere else in Australia that you could buy a million acres of land. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, so they've got themselves a whole bunch of land. It's bigger than some small countries. 
Yeah. They had told the agent that they were planning to continue to use it as a livestock station and paid, you know, just a half mil for it. Fuck, is that all? Yeah. It is the 90s. This is before, you know, the property boom. Fucking property boom. But they also managed to avoid foreign ownership rules by starting two companies in Australia through a Australian citizen of Japanese descent. So they got around a lot of shit, so they probably didn't have to pay as much money as they probably would have if they were just Japanese people buying property in Australia. So they eventually used this land as a testing ground for their eventual plans. So you know how I said that part of their doomsday prof- prophecy was that it was going to be a third world war? Yes. They wanted to start it. I had thought so. They weren't just going to let this happen on its own. They were definitely trying to push to make it happen. Which I'm like, how can you have a prophecy and say it's going to happen in 97, but then you have a plan to start it? Well, I mean. That's not a spiritual prophecy. <laughs> it's better plan it's than. It's a plan. <laughs> it's better than most cults who are just like, no, it'll happen. That's true. It's not just some guy going, oh, no, no, it's going to happen on this day. Don't worry about it. <laughs> At least this guy was proactive. I don't want to say that because it's really bad what they do, but. Asahara was planning on staging terrorist attacks. And he believes that that would start the nuclear war. I don't really know why he thought that. Oh, God. But he thought that it would. So, Terrorists always think that. This will do it. Yeah. Never does anything. Just kills innocent people. He thought that how remote Australia was would provide him with enough room to test without anyone knowing what he was doing. I think that's a smart plan. Uh, it's you not the still worst get away I've with ever that heard. Today. But he also thought that it might be a good... Refuge in the end, because, again, the remote location, Hmm. that he wouldn't be too affected by anything. Look, he's obviously a smart guy. He's thought this out. I'm not going to say that he's not. I mean, he's a horrible man and a terrible man, but he's still smart. How were they going to do these terrorist attacks? Like, what were they testing out? Some sort of public attack? Biological weapons. Huh. They used the station in Western Australia to test sarin. Okay. I have heard of that, but I don't really... It's a gas, isn't it? It is well. It can be a gas, okay, not necessarily a gas, gas, but it can be a gas. So I'm going to explain what sarin is because when I read that, I went, "What the fuck is sarin? <laughs> Never heard of it before. Don't really know what it is." I did some research, and sarin is a human-made chemical warfare nerve agent. Nice. That is clear, colorless, and tasteless. Fantastic. Just what you want. Was this a World War One invention by chance? Uh, it was Nazis. Oh, okay, but- <laughs> it wasn't too far off. <laughs> I mean, why was this ever created, honestly? It just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Sounds like a good way to kill people. Oh, man. Anyway, so nerve agents are extremely toxic to humans, and they act so quickly that there's not really a lot you can do about it. It starts as a liquid, but it can be evaporated into a gas, and the gas is way more deadly than the liquid. It was developed in 1938 in Germany as a pesticide. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they just called it. The Manhattan Project was a skyscraper. <laughs> I mean, that's the official word. You know why it? tanks are called tanks? Why? Because that's what they were using as a code name. So that in World War One, the Germans thought that the British were just building like water tanks or something. Oh, right. And okay. they never thought of a better name for it. So that's why tanks are called tanks. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. So what happens when a person is um, exposed to sarin? Uh, I imagine they fidget a lot and then proceed to stop living. It's it's rough, guys. Symptoms appear within seconds if it's in gas form. Like it can take a few minutes to an hour if it's in liquid form. So the gas way harsher. I mean, I'm assuming that's because it gets into your oxygen, like into your lungs. I yeah, I, I feel if you breathe something in, it gets into your system quicker than if you swallow yeah. it and you have to digest it. 
I mean, there's a reason why like gas weapons were banned after mm. World War One. Anyway, symptoms include a running nose, watery eyes, um, your pupils constrict so they're like very tiny, eye pain, blurred vision, drooling, sweating, coughing, chest tightness, rapid breathing, diarrhea, nausea, confusion, weakness, headache. I'm not finished. A change in heart rate and rapid changes in blood pressure. All that from breathing this stuff in. Fucking hell. Even a small drop on your skin can cause sweating and muscle twitching. Exposure to large doses can cause passing out, convulsions, paralysis, and respiratory failure. This is effect. I mean, it's really what it is. It's a pesticide to be used on humans. Yeah. It's what we spray on. I mean, I'm sure it, well, I'm going to go into this, but I'm sure it has a similar effect on animals as well. Well, you know, the bug spray. Yeah. That's just a, well, this is, that's what we do to bugs. Yeah. It's a nerve agent. It's what. See, I don't think I have to say it, but this stuff is super deadly and quick acting. Like it doesn't take much time at all for people to be affected by this stuff. These guys kept the cattle station or the cattle and sheep station going to test sarin on the animals. I was about to ask who are they testing it on. Yeah, I'll go into it later. But when police um, investigated the station and I have like there are photos that um, I can link it. It's just bones as far as the eye can see. It's fucked. Like, it's Shouldn't they fucked. ate the animals after they test them? Well, that'd be no, dangerous. you would get poisoned. <laughs> I, just, I figured, but maybe they didn't know that. I didn't put it in my notes, but I read an interview with, the, like, the owner who bought it afterwards, and they didn't discover that it was sarin they were using there until after they had already bought it. So it's probably just a bunch of useless land to them. They got a phone call saying, do you feel okay? <laughs> because the amount that they had used there on the land was probably still enough to affect people. Like it's 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 bad shit is what I'm saying. Effect like that's just very effective at killing things. Well, I mean it was designed to do that. Humans are fucked. Only humans could make this. Seriously. On September 9 in 1993, 25 cult members including the leader arrived in Perth on a tourist visa from Tokyo. And the large group got the attention of customs because they're all together. That just sounds like a Japanese tour group. And maybe in 1993 it wasn't. I don't know. I'm sure that's the height of like generic Japanese tourist groups with their (laughs) cameras and their hats and their khaki shorts. There's some other things that got customs attention as well. Was it the (laughs) fucking sarin gas? (laughs) They didn't have sarin with them. They had other stuff though. The larger group wasn't the only thing that got their attention. They paid $30,000 in excess baggage. And in that they had a ditch digger, picks petrol generators, gas marks, respirators, and shovels. Yeah, that sounds like tourists. Yeah, doesn't it? And they let them in. Well, this is pre-9-11. When questioned, they claimed they needed the equipment because they were planning on gold mining. I don't think you can do that as a tourist. It's the early 90s, it's WA, so really it's the 60s. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know. On top of this, though, and this is the thing that really should have got their attention, they were carrying with them sake bottles and glass jars that were marked as hand soap, but actually contained hydrochloric acid. What? Yeah. So it says soap. So they had in a sake bottle. They had handwritten hand soap on these like sake bottles and glass jars, but they actually contained hydrochloric acid. Did the customs agents think that was some Japanese technique? Well, custom, customs asked them to wash their hands with it, and they're like, "Oh no, no, we're not going to do that." so like and if if all of that wasn't enough to like convince them that something fucking weird was going on they had six or seven girls that were underage with them and if all that isn't bad enough i'm adding on top of that right (laughs) one of the customs office officers accidentally brushed past asahara and the other cult members that were with him attacked them (laughs) because they had touched their god they still let them into the country. What the fuck? 
What the fuck was customs in the 90s? They just find them for dangerous goods and still let them in. And like after after the fire, they were free to leave. There were so many fucking plane hijackings back in the day, and all those plane bombs. It's just it's. I think. Well, I think particularly for us, like, well, for me, I didn't travel until after. There you go. Anyone traveling through Perth and they ever call you up on shit you got, you can be like, you let through some blokes of fucking hydrochloric acid back in the (laughs) nineties. Fuck off! I'm taking my roll-on deodorant. (laughs) So I mean, this is mind-boggling. Travel toothpaste. How, How did this happen? How did they let them in? He's charismatic. Maybe he talked his way through customs. I, how? There were so many things that I'm like, were really big red flags. <laughs> and you still let them go. I don't know. But I don't know what the fuck they were doing in airports in the 90s. But the whole thing just was sus as fuck. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So the strange activity, though, on the, on the station was noticed pretty quickly. They had barrels of hydrochloric acid delivered. Because the ones obviously in the jars weren't enough. Or they probably had them confiscated, actually, now that I think about it. So they organized to get barrels of it delivered. And Mr. Lever, who delivered them, noticed a man cutting the lawn with scissors, strange repetitive tapes being played in the background, and a woman who said she was purging demons from her body by drinking mustard and salt water. I mean, that doesn't scream normal to me. I like weird drinks, but I don't know if I'd drink mustard and salt water. Indigenous Australians from the era reported seeing five people wearing space suits at the property. Probably hazmat suits, but yeah. I thought space suits. I'm like, I mean, dude, I'm sure they would have known what a hazmat suit was. Maybe we're talking people in remote eh, I guess WA. That's true. This is, I, okay, it's only 30 years ago, but there was no incident out there. True. They probably didn't have a lot of access to a lot of television either. True. I, I, I don't know how often um, someone on a livestock station has to wear a hazmat suit. Hence why it was probably a hazmat suit, but they've probably seen like pictures of spacemen. Mm. So they go, I think it was still thing. probably weird. Yeah. It's Obviously, it is weird. So like, why would yeah. you? Oh, well, actually, no, because NASA comes here to Australia mm. and they do fake Mars walkings Yeah. in the outback because yeah. it's a relatively similar terrain and they wear spacesuits. True. So maybe that's why they knew what a spacesuit was. They're like, <laughs> fucking Japanese spacesuit shit. <laughs> um, they also did some other weird things. Like they kept buying mineral exploration leases from the government. And a th- the theory is that they thought that this would prevent outsiders from coming onto the station without approval. But no one can really explain why they thought that. Because it was absolutely not true. Where did they get all this money? Is this just from his followers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. He was a rich man by this point. I don't think mo- I don't think money was any of his worries. The whole thing is a bit weird, though, because despite the gov- government being aware and having all these reports about weird stuff that's happening there, plus this whole weird thing at the airport, they were largely unnoticed and nothing really happened and they were free to carry out all the experiments that they liked. Again, it's the 90s. They're paying a lot of money into the local economy. They were probably just thinking, cool. Yeah. It's the middle of nowhere. They're not going to do it. They're not hurting anyone. I guess that's the other thing is that there were no reports of them actually hurting anyone. So what were they really going to do about it? I don't think anyone was aware of Saren being on the property because I'm sure if that was known that they would probably would have had action taken against them. But no one knew that at the the time. I mean, drums of hydrochloric acid's a bit odd. That's what the guys at Snowtown use. But I think the reason that that went unnoticed there too is I think that that might be a normal thing you use on a farm. It's kind of like um, Waco. Am I thinking of the right thing? Timothy McVeigh? 
He just used farm supplies to make his bombs. Oh, yeah, you can make bombs out of fertilizer. Yeah. That's why they always look for, if you buy a lot of fertilizing stuff, it's suspicious because you could be making a bomb. So maybe it was like that sort of thing? Yeah, okay. I don't actually know that. That's just me trying to rationalize why no one thought that was weird. Pool cleaning supplies, chlorine, all that. You can make bombs out of that. Mm. So. They're very good at making things explode. <laughs> and I don't know why humans want to do that, but whatever. Um, so they eventually left by the end of the next year. They had conducted all these experiments. They knew exactly how sarum was going to work, but they had spent like well over a year testing it out. On tourist visas the whole time? On tourist visas. When the new owners did take over the station, they did notice all of the dead carcasses. And, you know, some of them were old, which is where the photos of those bones came from. Like, they're crazy photos. I'm going to have to link them. But So that's where, like, that comes from. But there were also recent ones. So testing right up to the end. Yeah. They they were figuring out what it took to kill a human. How are they controlling it, I wonder? I guess they just wore hazmat suits and thought, fuck it, I can wander. How well, much wildlife did they kill with their sarin gas, I wonder? Who knows? I mean, I, I couldn't tell you. But I think when, when I tell you how they used it, it is so simple. Imagine they're just like dropping it into some sort of air compressor thing. But Even more simple than that. They found laboratory equipment mm-hmm. on the station as well. Obviously, the huge containers of chemicals. But they also found evidence that they were building a nuclear weapon. It's kind of fucked that they just left it all behind. I think they figured they didn't need it. But it seems like, wouldn't that, that's just going to spark big red flags, though. They're you gone. They, so they were chasing them. And it's I half guess. a world away. It's the 90s. Yeah, okay. What the fuck was anyone going to do to them back in Japan? Australia calls Japan and goes, um, the fuck? I'm not sure how much that it worked that way back then. Don't ask me. I was a literal baby. I mean, I wasn't very old either. <laughs> but um, because, and the reason that they thought that is because they were mining uranium. Actually, this is 97 now, isn't it? No, not quite. Oh, we're okay. like 94, 95. Okay. So yeah, they, they were mining uranium. So That's why they didn't pick New Zealand. That would have been I mean, straight I... away kicked out. <laughs> None of that shit in my country. Well, I mean, I assume that's why they chose the location they did. Yeah. So that's interesting. That can't have been planned though. That just must be like, oh, uranium. I don't know. And this is the thing, like, we'll never know the answer to that. They can't have bought a property and just gone, yeah, there'll definitely be uranium there. It was a million acres. That doesn't guarantee you're going to find the, uranium. <laughs> but if they knew it was in the area, there's a probably good fucking chance it's somewhere on your property. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to say what their eventual plans were because they didn't make a nuclear weapon. But why else would you be mining uranium? Depleted uranium bullets to sell to the <laughs> mili- uh, US military so you can fund more sarin gas? I just feel like if you could make a nuclear weapon, why would you bother with the sarin? I feel like the sarin gas is a lot easier to probably get around discreetly. Probably. A nuke is a big statement. <laughs> this gas is literally undetectable to a human. I didn't include this in my notes because it was all a bit up in the air and they didn't really know the answer. They, they think there was some evidence that they did test a nuclear weapon in the outback, but no one can prove it. And that's the problem. So we can't say that they did. It's not like a big spike of radiation out there somewhere. We've got a million acres to search, I guess. And I doubt they did search the entire million acres. <sighs> they wouldn't have. So you could do it by air. You'd surely notice where a nuke had exploded. But it's I mean, the there, there, it's there, is like, there is a theory that they did try and failed, and that's why they gave up on that mm. and just went with the sarin because they knew that was effective. There was kind of no messing around as such with it, and they knew that they could do some damage with it. So they just didn't bother trying to figure out the nuclear stuff and just went with what they knew. Mm. Anyway, 
so yeah, they spent a good chunk of time in Australia figuring out how to conduct the terrorist attacks. It's kind of mildly terrifying to think that Australia played a hand in what they're about to do. Not willingly. Not willingly, obviously, but I mean, I feel like there were multiple times where they could have been, you know, caught out, but weren't. Yeah. And I guess like, like you said, it is a pre 9-11 world we're talking about. I didn't fly in that world, <laughs> but I've heard that there were pretty much no checks whatsoever. Yeah, it was slow, but yeah, you just went through. So the fact that they even found them with the hydrochloric acid was probably a huge feat at that time since there weren't really any official checks. So now we kind of go back to Japan. So they go back. They've got all their sarin testing done on our sheep and they've figured out how to do max damage basically with it. Um, and I'm going to warn you, this gets really rough what they did. So on March 20, God, that was your birthday. Lots of things happened on my birthday. Um, on March 20 in 1995, several packages of deadly sarin gas were set off in the Tokyo subway system. So while I was enjoying that kick-ass train cake I mentioned last week. <laughs> yeah. People in Tokyo were being gassed to death. Yeah. Awesome. It was just like when America invaded Iraq on my birth- on my 10th birthday. I'm sorry. Stop doing shit on my birthday. <laughs> so the way that they dispersed the gas is kind of ingenious in its simplicity. All they did is they got the liquid sarin, mm-hmm. wrapped it in newspaper and put it in plastic bags. So the heat within it created gas. Hmm. So they took... These plastic bags with the sarin in it. Each cult member was carrying two bags and umbrellas with sharpened tips. Okay. So no one's going to think it's sus that a guy is getting on a on a train with a bag. And an umbrella. And an umbrella. Especially in Japan, there's umbrellas fucking everywhere. No one's going to find that sus. Like, this is what I'm saying is this is how, like, clever it was. And even if he's wearing a face mask, I think that was a thing back then there as well. So. Yeah. But the thing is, they didn't even need the face mask because I'm going to tell you what happened. They had prearranged which stations they were going to get on the train. So the doors open on the train. They get on the train, drop the bag, puncture it a bunch of times with their umbrella and get straight back off the train. Cool. The people who dropped the packets on the train never got affected by the gas because obviously it's going to take a little bit of time for it to disperse in the, the train carriage. So they get off scot-free, no effects from the gas, while doors close and they're going through a tunnel where there's nowhere to get off. While this gas is spreading. It's just, it's so terrifying for me to think about because what you start getting your runny nose and your eyes get a bit sore. You would never think that that's something like bad that's happening to you. Yeah. You'd be just like, oh, like what's going on? And then you wouldn't even think about it. Most of these people didn't even realize what was happening until it was too late. Well, a guy getting on stabbing a bag is a bit weird. But probably not weird enough to really raise an alarm. You might go, oh, that guy's weird. I would think that if someone got on a train now in like Sydney or Melbourne and did that, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird. No, now I'd be like, fuck, is that sarin gas? Well, I mean, now, now that I've read about this, I would think that. <laughs> but previous to this, I don't think I would have. I would. Well, oh, that's kind of weird. Also, pre-9-11, so no one's thinking about un- unattended bags. Mm. The whole thing was just like worked. Do you know what I mean? Like it was clever enough that they knew what they did wouldn't cause suspicion or, or too much suspicion. And I think probably in the time that the doors opened and closed, there probably wasn't even enough time to deal with it, even if someone was suspicious. Yeah. The train would be gone by the time any alarm would be raised. Honestly, it's like a genius plan um, for what they wanted. So I say all of that, but the casualties weren't as bad as you think it would be. So only, I say only, this is obviously still terrible, but only 12 people died, which kind of amazing. I mean, how much gas can escape through those small holes and it would probably clog itself up as well. 
But I, I mean, like they had like I I can't remember how many places. But there was quite a few places. Like it wasn't just two bags. Mm. They had quite a few spread out over the network in Tokyo. Lots of stops though, and if it yeah. starts moving quickly, as soon as it opens, it's going to flush it out into the. That's true, and I, I think one of the worst things I read is that two of the people out of those twelve were the people that picked up the bags because mm. they didn't know what it was. And apparently within minutes they were dead. That's that's horrible. So these people that have like run in to try and help these people, picked up the bags to try and get them out, touched It's probably it. more they think this person's dumped litter, I better pick it up because that's a Japanese thing to do. You know, they, yeah. they clean up after themselves because that's what they're taught to do. But yeah, I've so gone, oh, this person's a fucking idiot. I'll go No, no, no. They were mistake. first responders to the oh. situation. So they picked up the bag okay. not knowing what it was. Obviously it touched them and they died within or minutes. Or they just got a big whiff of it. Either way. They they died very quickly, um, which I, I just thought that was the most heartbreaking thing. Yeah, these people running and trying to help people, and they're like the first to die. So it severely injured 50 people. So some of those people are still blind. Oh, God. A 13th person died in 2008, but the reason they died was because of an effect. Complications. I'm like, that's fucking insane. What's to say that there won't be more deaths in the future from a complication of the effects of being poisoned by sarin? However, over the network, 6,000 people were affected. A lot of them were really minor. Mm. So there's like a lot of blurry vision and, and that kind of thing. But it's still, if they had stayed on the train longer or been closer to the bag, or, it could have been a lot worse than it actually was. So after this attack, 200 cult members were arrested. I would love to know how they figured out it was them. There's no details on that in anything I read. Probably don't want it known so that they can't, other cults can't figure out how they got caught. True. Which included um, Asahara. He uh, was sentenced to death. Yeah. And he was hung in 2008, uh, 2018, sorry. So that's how long it took from the event to his execution, which is kind of crazy. So the 2019 incident I was talking about is considered to be retribution for his execution. Right. There are definitely people who still follow him and believe what he taught. Yeah. Even though this terrorist attack was, you know, one of the, I think, probably the worst in Japanese history. As far as I'm aware. I'm not too sure on that. But obviously it was still like a really bad one for it's them. It's not a domestic terrorist attack. Yeah. However, this was not the only thing that they had done or had planned. I'm just telling you about that one because it was the one that was directly affected from their activities in Australia. Yep. And it was the one that had the most impact and eventually it led to all their arrests. But they had done another sarin attack previous to that where they just dropped it in a neighborhood. Like in the evening and then walked away. <laughs> that also killed people, but not as many. At the time when that one happened, they didn't know who was responsible for it. So obviously something tripped them up about the one in the Tokyo subway and then it connected them back. to the well, other Two sarin, sarin gas attacks. That's got to be one of <laughs> right? the odds that they're separate people. Um, so I'd say after that sarin gas attack, they start investigating everyone, start piecing together as another attack and they're just like, oh. Yeah. So Security footage then would place because they'd have... Security footage of Pearson getting on and off the train. Mm. Pin him. He's a cult member. Cool. Cold cult's done. Yeah. So That's my best guess. That wasn't the only other thing, though. They also had plans to detonate other bombs in the subway system. I'm trying. I'm struggling. I didn't write these in my notes. These are just what I remember from my research. I'm struggling to remember what kind of gas they were going to use. It wasn't sarin, though. But it was just as deadly. So they had planned two other attacks after this on the subway in Tokyo. And the only reason they didn't go through, and apparently if they had detonated, 
it would have killed hundreds of thousands of people because they put them in the air ducts in the stations. That's what I was thinking. I was like, why don't they do that with the sarin gas? I uh, guess. Maybe it's fucked I think up. The sarin but that gas- was my first thought. I was like, yeah, put it in the air ducts and I spread it through. I think sarin gas, you have to be closer to it. That's why they opted for the bags in the train. But the air ducts would spread it through. But you probably wouldn't kill anyone that way. Mm. You might like injure people or make people sick, but you probably wouldn't have killed them. But yeah, so the other two attacks that they planned, they had put them in the ducts in the subway station. And the only reason that it didn't happen is the detonators failed. Thank goodness. And they only found out about them afterwards. Otherwise, if those detonators had been better, would have gotten a lot worse, which is just crazy to think. They are now known as Aleph, and they do claim to be a peaceful, spiritual organization. Really? <laughs> I'm not going to say they're not, okay? Look, if that's what they're saying they are now, then that's See, it was the 25-year anniversary of the uh, attack. I don't know. I can't, I can't help but feel like Australia is partially responsible for that. A lot of red flags. Yeah. That should have been picked up. And thank you, I like to think today it probably is. In a more I mean, that would never happen today. A more at interconnected least world about fighting. I, they would have been turned away at customs. For oh, starters. yeah, definitely. They would have been sent somewhere definitely else. Definitely would have been turned away at customs. Like, there's no way they would have got through with it. But I guess, you know, it, it, was, a different, it was a different world back then. There wasn't... I don't think terrorism was really on people's minds. It kind of... Like, there were instances of terrorism, like, obviously, well before 9 It sounds like the lull between where you thought terrorist and you pictured an Irishman and... Between where you thought yeah. terrorists and pictured a Muslim man instead. So, I don't know. I think it was I just wonder different... what nationality will associate with terrorism next. It's going to be a white incel. I think we're already there. It's, it's, it's them now. <laughs> but yeah, I just, uh, it's kind of wild that they figured out what they were going to do here. Took it back and... I mean, look, it makes sense. There's so much empty space full of fucking nothing in Australia. Who knows what's going on in the outback right now? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> But you are. I am. I'm thinking true crime and I'm thinking bodies. Um, <laughs> Chappelle Corby too. No, not Chappelle Corby. I was going to say, she didn't fucking kill anyone. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, Azaria Chamberlain too. She also didn't I kill know, anyone. That, that story. <laughs> We've spoken about it before, but no fucking way. Honestly. That I'm was not, fucked. What listen to the case lady. file episode. It'll change everything you think about that case. I'm telling you. It, it's like... The um, what was that other podcast listened to about Howard Holt? Oh, All Aussie Mystery Hour. Yeah, we listened to about that once, and the the fun theories are that the Chinese took him in a submarine or something <laughs> like that. I love that theory. But yeah, they go into it in the first five minutes. They're like, oh, yeah, so it's this really dangerous beach, and Howard Holt was a bit of a shit swimmer, and all sorts of oh, stuff. Oh no, that was weird crap in Australia because okay. all, all Aussie Mystery Hour really leaned in heavily to the the submarine theory. <laughs> yeah, so. Which I loved. I yeah, like but, to think uh, about that. Okay, so whichever one it was, they're reading it out. Within five minutes, I was sitting there like, yeah, he drowned. And they're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this guy clearly drowned because oh it was a dangerous beach. No, that's and he no was a bad to swimmer. think about. And they're like, eh, but we'll read about the fun ones anyway. Despite the fact <laughs> this man clearly drowned. Although, while we're talking about other podcasts, All Aussie Mystery Hour did do an episode on this and they interviewed someone who knows a lot more about it than I do. They did like an hour-long episode on it if you want to go check that out as well because I'm sure they probably included information that I did not in this. I'm kind of glad that we uh, did this on its own because it was just so much to talk about. I just thought it was a wild story. And yeah, I just feel kind of... I feel weirdly responsible even though I was a child. (laughs) But as a citizen of Australia, (laughs) 
I just feel like mildly responsible that we didn't catch that before it happened. Even as I try to like logically think about it, even if it hadn't happened here, it would have happened somewhere else. I don't think like us catching them would have in any way inhibited yeah, they their just gone to final country. plan. Yeah, they would have figured it out. They would have figured something else out. They were pretty keen on trying to bring about the end of the world. So I don't think anyone could have stopped them. What was that guy's name again? Okay. The Ashihara? Shoko Asahara. He's a hairy, hairy man. <laughs> Used to go around in like these bright pink robes. Oh, not his real name. He was born. No, it wasn't his Chijo real name. Matsumoto. Did change it when he became Christ? I, I didn't include his original name because I don't think anyone would know him by that name. Oh, bugger. What? We were so close to the anniversary of his death to post in this episode. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. We're a month out, 6th of July, and this episode mm-hmm. will go out on the 3rd of June. Oh, well. Oh, well. That would have been good. But then maybe but, I mean, we would have been it's crazy to think that that was only two years ago that that happened. And we're talking about something that happened 25 years ago. Yeah. Well, when I, when I last went to Japan, he was still alive and he was there. Yeah. To get attention house. When I was like watching YouTube videos about this, and I will like link a bunch that I, I watched in the um, episode notes of this. A lot of people in the comments were like, oh my God, I can't believe he was hanged. I can't believe people have capital punishment by hanging these days. And I'm like. Didn't oh. the Americans hung Osama? No, they hung um, Saddam. I was going to say a lot of states in America that still have capital punishment have hanging as an option. They just don't use it as much anymore. They more go for the lethal injection. Fuck the lethal injection. I don't want to be Um, (laughs) Oh, this is so off topic, but I should forward you an episode of a podcast I listen to about lethal injections. They fail more than half of the time. They're not effective. I don't know why they use them. Yeah. And there's like so many complications about like getting the medications because most places won't sell it to them because it's a lethal injection. No doctor will administer a lethal injection. The whole thing is fucking stupid. (laughs) There you go. Where I stayed in Japan, I was only seven kilometers from the detention center where uh, Asihara was kept. Wow. Just to tie it back to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's amazing that there are these people that exist in the world that can convince people to do these kind of things or to join cults or to like buy into like some belief system because, you know, as like a sane, rational person, I want to sit here and say that if someone tried to make me join a cult, that I'd be like, fuck off. But then you hear so many stories of average people who yeah. get sucked into these things. Well, there's, a, there's always that desire to belong. But I'm not even sure it starts as that. I remember hearing a podcast about a woman who thought she was just going on a re- like a spiritual retreat and somehow ended up getting sucked into this whole cult thing. And it took her years to get out. I'm like, how, like, that's not an abnormal thing. Like, people go on those retreats. It's not a weird thing at all. Mm. But then to have it, like, turned into, she was saying it turned, typical cult things where you have to, like, um, purge all your sins and then they tape it and use it against you and stuff like that. I'm not calling out anyone in particular, but I obviously am. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's just I, I, it's just crazy. This guy was no different. He was just very good at talking people into things. Anyway, I think that's really fascinating. Brings us to an end? It does bring us to the end because I don't have anything else to tell you. <laughs> I don't have any stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm really glad we did this in its own episode because... It, I think it was the better way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I still think it's relatively relevant enough. And I mean, Australia and its buddies, Japan really aren't that far away. Especially these days. That's true. I, 
I did sort of, I, I talked about it with you, whether I'm like, is this relevant enough? Because a lot of it happens in Japan. I don't know. But it's still a part of our history that we had that happen here. Mm. And it helped a terrorist attack to happen. But yeah, I guess that brings us to an end. Let us know what you thought about this format. It's definitely going to be back to the normal one next week. Yeah, this is obviously very different from what we usually do. I just, I wanted to be able to try and do this justice and try and explain it to the best of my ability. I'm not sure how well I did, but it's obviously the first time that I've tried to do something like this as well. So Certainly one of the more involved yeah. and interesting stories we've ever done. Most of the stuff we do is just like, <laughs> what the hell? Now that we've spoken, I'm like, we should do an Azaria Chamberlain episode. And we should do it like this because there's no way you can get through all those details in our normal episode. And I think that's a story worth sharing because there are so many misconceptions and so many people that blame Lindy for it. Still, still people blame her for it. So I think that would be worth doing. Not anytime soon. um, There's a really interesting, well, what happened to Australian citizens living in Rabaul, which was part of Australia at the time of World War II. It's really shocking and sad how many Australians don't know what actually went on in Rabaul. I talking... don't even know what you're talking about. Exactly. See, Rabaul was a it's a town it's a town in New Guinea that was occupied by the Japanese during the war and they formed a base there and stuff and you know, it's stuff like pretty much all the women and children and men who got left behind were all killed. But there was also things like you've got fourteen year old spies running around, you've got What the fuck? Yeah. So there's stuff like that where we could go into so if you have any stories at all you'd like to submit or give us feedback, especially on this episode, we'd love to hear it. You can always email us at fmedeadpodcast at gmail.com. That's fmedeadpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at fuckmedeadpod. Keep up to date on when episodes are released. Stories that don't make the cut or just general shitposting, things like that. Uh, again, as I said, we'll be back to our normal format next week. Yep. We have been busy in yep. our own personal lives. Uh, you know, I'm looking at heading back to work next week as well. Uh, which is a weird thing to say right now because it's actually <laughs> two weeks away, but in context of when you'll be hearing this. Yeah. And as always, you can find this information a little bit more on our website, which is fuckmedeadpodcast.com, and you can even listen to the episodes there if you'd like. Um, Indeed. Yeah, that's it. So please subscribe if you have the time, leave any reviews you can, let your friends know, share it with your family. You know, we're like, I think you might like this podcast about some Japanese people who kill people with sarin gas. Um, yeah. Tell your friends. Maybe don't, maybe don't say it like that. <laughs> don't start with that episode. Pick one of our really good ones, like episode seven or episode 17, I really like. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if you're still listening at this point, thank you so much for, you know, bearing with us through this first time that we're trying this sort of thing. And yeah, just thanks for hanging out. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back at the same time next week. Goodbye. Bye.